middle of October already, man, soon it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Woohoo! Yeah, anyway, uh, just a couple of quick um, prayer requests. You may or may not have heard we've had it out in our emails, which by the way, if you're not on the list, you would like to be. Uh, shoot us a text or call during the week, and uh, uh, Sylvia will be glad to put you on that email list. We send them out during the week, a prayer, as well as other information, but you need to be on that list if you want to receive that. So, uh, Pat Scarfo Jr., God is heart. Praise God, huh? Man, yeah, you can clap. Praise God for that. So you be praying for him as he recovers. He's doing well. Pat just told me this morning, doing really well. I, I tell you, after what I've been through with heart stuff, that just amazes me. Um, it, it just, wow. So be praying for them. We got word this morning that Art Cross, Hal Cross's dad, went home to be with the Lord. And so Hal and Nancy are already on their way to Iowa for the funeral, and Andy and Bethany as well will be if they're not already, but be praying for them and uh, for the service. Got word too, just saw it uh, early this morning, I had an email from a friend that told me that some of you will know Don Trott, who a long time with ABWE, went home to be with the Lord on Friday. And uh, so be praying for Ruth and their six kids and family I don't know any more about that as it relates to details, uh, but um, as we hear them, we'll certainly let you go. And, and every week I sit here and I look at the cross here, and I'm reminded uh, about who's your one. Folks, I, there's a lot of names. You put those names there. And I, I, I trust, I, I pray that you're praying for these people. We pray for people who need Jesus, that God will use us in any way to share Christ with them. So be praying for your one. Don't, don't let that, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind thing happen. Uh, be praying for them. Who's your one? Let me pray as we begin this morning. God, we are in awe of the medical knowledge and know-how and ability that you've given doctors today that they can literally take a heart from a body and put it in someone else. And we're grateful for that provision for Pat. And I pray for his health and strength and recovery. I pray that you would just uh, help it to work like it ought to. God, for those that are taking care of him, that they'd be aware of everything and that you'd get Pat back on his feet. God, continue to strengthen Tammy and the kids and Pat and Helen and uh, give them strength. Thank you for your grace in this way. And Father, for Hal and Nancy, Andy and Bethany, and, and the rest of their family in Iowa, and as they uh, plan for the service for Art Cross, I, I pray that that would be a helpful and encouraging time for them. Minister to the family, and uh, the peace that they need, that you'd provide that. God, I Pray, too, for Ruth Trot and their kids and their families. And as they grieve over the loss of Don, thank you for his years and years and years of faithful service and ministry. And I pray that whenever that service is, that it will be a great testimony uh, to, the, to the grace of God, the saving grace of God. And, Lord, I, I pray. we got a cross full of names here. Lord, you know who they are, and, and so do the people who put them there. And I pray, God, for these individuals. I, God, would you use our people to, to, to give the gospel as they build relationships. God, that there would be opportunities, that you'd open the doors, open their hearts to their need of Christ, and open our mouths in your time to know what to say, how to say, when to say, share Christ. And God, I pray that we'd see these folks come to know Jesus. And I pray for our time this morning, Lord, as we look to your word, open our eyes, open our hearts to your truth, for it's in Christ's name that I pray, amen. Um, I think that's all of those requests. 
So um, last week we began with a warning about the danger of elevating feelings over truth. This morning I, I, I came across a quote. I've had it. It's, every time I read it, I'm like, whoa, man. And this is a warning about elevating traditions over truth. And it comes from a book, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. It's in the foreword if you want to follow that. But, but here it is. Uh, when we elevate our traditions over God's truth, we cheapen the church. So much of our approach to the church today is based upon the ways we've done it before instead of upon the word God has spoken forever. We value our preferences over God's priorities, organizing the church around what is most pleasing to us instead of what is most faithful to Christ. In the end, we practically define the church according to our own personal comforts. A church is a good church if it makes us feel good, so we hop and shop from one church to the next, looking for the place and the programs that most cater to our needs. We need to ask God what he values in his church because we love his gospel in our lives and we want to accomplish his mission in the world. The church is the means God has established for the defense, display, and declaration of the gospel. God has designed this distinct community called the church to satisfy and gratify his people while we spread his grace among all peoples. Now that may sound to some of you a little harsh. I hope not. We, we sometimes need that dose of reality, that wake-up call, because we often shop for churches, and, and we have become consumers rather than worshipers, and, and thinking about uh, uh, who God is, and we're here to serve, and what is the purpose of of the church. And, and so just to remember, we need to make sure that we build what we believe on the truth of God's word, not our feelings, as we mentioned last week, not our traditions, not our preferences, not the way things have always been, but what God says in his word. We must make sure that what God says is what we follow for all that we do, and that certainly is true as it relates to um, the leadership of the church as we talk about that. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and here's just a little bit of a, we, we've talked a couple of weeks ago about the Berean church and how Paul had preached the gospel to them and how those folks, as they heard the gospel, they examined the scriptures, they examined the truth of the Bible that, God had, that Paul had shared with them to see if what Paul said was true. And challenge you to be searching the scriptures. And I would encourage you to do that again today as we share scripture. And I'll be doing that, sharing some things with you. We won't look at every verse, but you study, you dig in, you examine what God's word says. But here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 14 to 17, Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. That's the word of God. That's the Bible. And, uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's where we get the gospel. That's how we know what it is that Jesus Christ has done for us. That's how we know. Next, next verse or slide. Of, of what we need to believe, that we're sinners in need of Jesus Christ and only he can save. All scripture, folks, this is it. This is why we need to examine. All scripture is God-breathed. It's here because God breathed it out to those men who put it on paper. We call that inspiration. And so all scripture, this whole book, your Bible that you're holding, that truth is God-breathed and is useful. And here's why we ought to know it. For teaching, it's useful for rebuking, it's useful for correcting, it's useful for training in righteousness, how God expects us to live, so that the servant of God, that's those of us who know Jesus Christ, the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
That's how, it, that's, that's how it happens. We learn to do the work of God and how to do the work of God from the Word of God. So dig in, folks. Examine those things. Don't just take for granted. Uh, don't just always listen. Paul said in verse 14 that, yeah, you have to remember those from whom you learned it, so that's true. Uh, that's going to be happening, whether it be from this pulpit or in the classroom in this building somewhere. But, but hold on to the truth of the Word of God and search the Scriptures. So again, let me ask you as we did last week, do you know what the Bible teaches, and I would add, and doesn't teach, about the leadership of the church? And that's where we get our traditions that get us in trouble sometimes because we hold on to things that we've heard or thought but aren't really found in Scripture. Sometimes we do that. That's why we're calling our series, So Who's in Charge Here? That's what, that's what this is about. What does the Bible say about who's to be involved in the leadership of the church? And then I would ask this question also. Um, can you explain and defend what you believe, what the Bible says about the leadership and direction of the church? And that's why we're looking to the scriptures. All scripture has been given to us by God. So then, who are these guys? As we look at that this morning, we've been looking at the pastor, um, shepherd, the overseer, bishop, the elder, all titles for the same person, the position of pastor of the church, all right, that, that God tells us in Scripture. So as we move on from that, we're going to look at deacons today. So who are these guys we call deacons? And what do they do? Now, when anyone uh, inquires about deacons in the local church, there are usually all kinds of responses. Well, well who are they? What should they be? What do they do? And sometimes we think, well, a guy would be a good deacon if he just is faithful every week. If he just shows up. A number of years ago, somebody nominated somebody, and, and, and when they, they called me about it, and I, and, I, and I made the comment, I said, well, great guy, but he's not serving anywhere. Not serving anywhere. Well, if you're going to be a deacon, that's what the word, as we're going to see, means servant. So if a person is going to be a deacon, deaconing isn't the first place that they ought to be starting to serve. They ought to already be involved in serving so that then is there, it's obvious that they're deacon material because at least in that one area, we'll look at some of the other things as well. But, but many times we think, okay, deacons are the guys who care for the church's facilities. Uh, some would say they're the governing board of the church. Others must have deacons consent uh, in order to do things, must lead ministry teams. They are to teach or preach. They counsel or they evangelize or they manage church programs. Deacons help the needy. Deacons are models of servant leadership. Deacons administer the Lord's Supper. And those are just some of the things that, that we begin to talk about deacons that, that come up, that we talk about. Those are things that deacons do. I'm not saying they all are or are not. I'm just saying those are the, some of the thoughts that, comes into our, that come into our heads when we think about it. This morning, as we look at Scripture to see what the Bible says about a deacon, I want to fire up your hearts. Now, I don't know how much fire I'm going to have. Jane and I, as you know, went out to Iowa. At least a number of you did. Scott mentioned that last week. And, and uh, we left Thursday morning. Our plane left Scranton at 5.15. So you can imagine what time we were up. Yesterday morning, our plane left Des Moines, Iowa at 5.25. We had 10 minutes extra sleep, right? Uh, but so I'm, I'm not sure how much fire I'll have today, but I'm going to give it to you. And I want to fire you up, folks, about the ministry of deacons at Heritage Baptist Church. It's a big deal. Why? Not because I say so, because the Bible says so. And I hope to be able to make that clear to you as we work through Scripture. So please open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, because here's what I want to do. Go back one slide, if you would, Steve. I, 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 this is my desire for you this morning. I want to fire up your hearts about the ministry of deacons. There's two things. Number one, I want those of you who are qualified and willing to be deacons to serve. 
If you're qualified, you got to be willing. And, and my challenge is going to be you. If you are, then you ought to be serving as a deacon, willing to. And then the rest of you, you say, well, we're not deacon material, or, or at least in our church, we don't do the women. I'm going to make a statement about that. But the rest of you ought to be concerned to be paying attention to who ought to be a deacon and nominate them. Folks, last year, and every year you get the opportunity. Last year, two names were not submitted as nominations. Two. From this entire body right here. Now, maybe it's because it's not a big deal. Maybe because you think, well, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Uh, well, we ought to. So, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. If you have a, don't have a Bible, want a hard copy other than your phone or tablet underneath the chair in front of you. There's a Bible, page 813, 830, excuse me, 830. And uh, so let me just simply say, okay, as we begin, we're going to look at two things. Number one, so who are these guys we call deacons? Who are these guys we call deacons? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and, and you're already in chapter 3, so if you look back a few verses to the beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, here is a trustworthy saying. We've been over this, but I want you to get the contrast, the difference, see the context. Whoever aspires to be an overseer, and as we mentioned, overseer or bishop, that's the same as the pastor or the elder, the shepherd, the leader of the church, all right? Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach and on, and he goes down and through the first seven verses and give us, gives us direction as the qualifications for the, pastor, the pastors of the church. 1 Timothy chapter 5, look ahead a couple chapters, and verse 17, and Paul again is talking about the pastor, about the overseer, but he uses a different title. Verse 17 in 1 Timothy 5, the elders, notice plural, elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. So as Paul is talking to Timothy about the leadership of the church. He's challenging the church, but he's challenging Timothy as to how he ought to teach about the leadership of the church. And so as we look at that, I have a, a, a chart that, and, and we have, this is the chart that's right on the screen, and I don't know how well you can see that, but we printed up some, and if you would like a copy of this, this is a lot of what we went over last week when we talked about the pastor, the shepherd, the bishop and overseer, and then the elder. And the circles, the red circle here has to do with the, the places where pastor, shepherd are used, the, the yellow circle about where bishop and overseer are used, and then where it overlaps, you can see here with the two where they're both used in the same uh, context, the same thing with the blue is elder and how they're used in the same context. I just read you first two verses from First Timothy where they both use, Paul uses elder and bishop overseer to refer to the same person, the overlap there. And then in the very middle, you've got Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter 5, which we talked about last week, where you see all three titles are used for that individual. And, and we have these charts available for you if you'd like to pick them up, but the scripture is on them as well. And if that will be a help to you as you study and learn and examine the scriptures to see what you determine, to see if these things are so, that might be a help to you. So, so there we, if we just looked at 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 5, talking about the overseers, the elders who are pastors. That's what we refer to them as. But then we refer to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. And, and the only other place other than 1 Timothy 3 where Paul, where the Bible, the New Testament uses the word for deacon. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. Together with overseers, the church at Philippi, with overseers and deacons. That's the only other place besides the text in 1 Timothy 3 that, that, that lists the word deacons. Now, we talked a few weeks back about Acts chapter 6. That probably is as we use the word prototype, precursor to 
deacons and pastors as we know them. They refer to the, to the leaders of the church as the apostles at that point who were acting, functioning as pastors. And then, of course, the men that they had the, the, uh, appointed the church to go and eat, pull out, find those who are qualified. You could say nominated seven men brought those seven men's names back to the apostles who agreed and who prayed, laid hands on them, and appointed them to be those servants. The Bible doesn't use the term deacon there, but we believe that that was a prototype of deacons and pastors as we would know it today. Now, you have to dig into that and come up with your own conclusion. And then we'll go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 which is the text where we uh, started. And we see in verse 8 where Paul says, in the same way deacons. In the same way as what? Well, he just talked about overseers or elders or pastors. And he talked about the qualifications that the pastors, the overseers, the elders need to be true of them if they're going to serve God in the leadership capacity of the church and he says in the same way deacons now we we say as baptists to one of the baptist distinctives and if you've ever studied baptist church history you've heard of the baptist distinctives one of the things one of the t's you, there's an acrostic for baptists and i'm not going to go into that this morning but one of the t's is two offices Pastor and deacon. So here they are, 1 Timothy 3. And you say, well, where the Bible doesn't use the word office. No, but when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, verse 1 says, whoever decides, we typically have read the office of a bishop. It doesn't say office. Or in a translation, literally it would say the overseership. So it's talking about a position. That's what we believe is the office. And then Paul says, in the same way. So that's why we'd say two offices, pastors and deacons. So as we talk about that, there it is. So being a deacon, as I mentioned, is not the place to start ministering in the church. And, and, and sometimes there's a very low view of what a deacon ought to do. Uh, I remember talking to somebody a number of years ago about being a deacon, and the response I got was, I'm not interested in sitting in long meetings on Sunday afternoons. And I'm like, okay. Number one, I'm sorry you feel that way. Number two, we're figuring out how not to have long meetings about things we ought not to even be talking about, but we want to talk about how we can better minister to our people. Um, and so as we talk about that, that's critical. But but he, here's something I want you to think about. It came across this quote in a book entitled Paul's Vision for the Deacons. And this is what it says. There must be something very significant about the deacon's ministry that requires both specific elder-like qualifications and verification of those qualifications by the church and its leaders. Not just anyone can be a deacon. Now, I want you to think that way. That is a big deal. That statement. He said, there's got to be something very significant about the ministry of a deacon because Paul spends time. God, in the inspired, the inspiration of men to write scripture, talks about the office of the deacon. Why? Because it matters for the local church. You say, okay, well, what do they do? I'll get to that. But as we talk about this, something very significant about their ministry, because it does require elder-like qualifications. When we read down through 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13, you'll find many of those same qualifications listed in the first seven verses of 1 Timothy 3 that are the qualifications for a pastor, for an elder, for an overseer. There's basically two that are different. One, a deacon is not qualified or not, not required to be able to teach. Doesn't mean they can't teach, but that's not a requirement. That's not a qualification. That's the, one of the major differences between a pastor and a deacon. 
Deacons aren't required to teach or to be able to teach. The other one would be they shouldn't be a novice. Now, Paul talks about being mature, being proven, and we'll see that. But the big deal is then the verification of those elder-like qualifications. How's that come? Well, it comes when you nominate them and then vote on them. Now, our Constitution set up, we, we have a nominating committee. We, there's two deacons that currently serving, two lay people, and myself, one of the pastors. And, and, and we look through the names. When we don't get names, we work through the list of our men that are uh, 21 years of age and older. And we figure out who would be a good deacon, who is qualified, who has a heart and a desire to serve, who's already serving and would be willing to minister to our people. And then we go and approach those. Sometimes when we have names turned in um, and we always say to you, you need to ask the individual before you nominate them to make sure they're willing to serve, uh, to put their name in. And, and then sometimes we might have a name come in that was nominated, and, 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 and sometimes we'll ask that person, and they'll say no. Uh, you can turn my name in, and I'll pray about it, but I'm the, I don't want to serve. Okay, but that's, that's how that works, and that's the process that we go through as we look at this. But I want you to hear, and not just because it's... I believe that. When you read through Scripture, it is a big deal, folks. Or it wouldn't be in the Bible. In both texts that we just looked at, Philippians 1 and 1 Timothy 3, um, deacons are mentioned with overseers, with the pastors. In fact, when they're referenced together, deacons always follow the overseers of the pastors, suggesting that deacons, deacons work under the supervision of the pastors of the church. Now, more than that, though, more importantly, that's what the words indicate. That's what the word overseer and deacon really indicate by the meaning of the words. Uh, overseer bishop, as we looked at, is a word that means superintendent, manager, guardian. Overseers function as the spiritual leadership of the church. It can be done without deacons. They can stand alone. The pastors or overseers, elders can function alone. In fact, when a church starts, the church is planted. you got to have a pastor to start the church. And in time, when, as you begin to gather people together, then you begin to look for men who qualify to serve as deacons. But the pastor can function alone. The deacon is, can't function without the church without the spiritual leadership of the pastor. That's what Scripture teaches, and you've got to study to see that that's the case. Starting a church requires spiritual leadership. Um, now, I will say this. Pastors, overseers, elders are more effective when we're functioning like this with deacons. Why? Because as we saw in Acts chapter 6, the deacons assist the pastors by doing the work of the ministry so that the pastors can give themselves to the word of God in prayer. Now, that's what we read in Scripture um, as we move through. So for a church to accomplish its mission, Matthew 28, that's where we deal with that. It must function as God intended. If we're going to do all that, if we're going to be a church that makes disciples, we, it's best we need pastoral leadership. We need deacon servantship. That's, that's the way God designed it. 1 Timothy chapter 8. 3, where we are, verses 8 to 12, spell out specific qualifications of a deacon. And as I mentioned, many of them are similar. So just look at verse 8, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and follow with me as I read down through the text here. In the same way, we mentioned that deacons, just like they're in office, just like they're involved as, as appointed to a function within the church, deacons are to be Worthy of respect. There's, they have to have a godly reputation. That needs to be true. They need to be sincere. Not indulging in much wine. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Verse 9. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. 
Now, that means you got to know the Word of God. You have to have an understanding of Scripture and hold to that with a clear conscience. It doesn't say that you have to be able to teach it. Again, as I pointed out, that's one of the major differences between the pastor and the deacon. Verse 10, deacons must first be tested. There it is. What does that mean? They, they need to have proven themselves in the body of believers that we call the church so that people see, yes, they've been tested. They've served. They, they've developed a godly reputation. They've proven themselves to be worthy of this position. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. That's where if there is nothing against them. So when names are put in, we put the names out before we vote in December of the men who are willing to run, qualified to run as deacon. And you vote yes or no. And what we encourage you, you get those names ahead of time. We encourage you, if you see a name and you don't think they're qualified, you go to that individual and share your concern. Don't come to me first you go to that individual first to talk to them. And then we work through that process if there is a problem. And so that's part of that process there. So then we get to verse 11. In the same way, and the NIV says it this way, women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Now, I'm not going to jump into this this morning about women deacons or deaconesses. Scripture, this is, this is a battle that's been fought for ages. I, I, maybe battle is a strong word. This is a, a debate that has been going on for years, all right? How's that? Um, whether th- that verse means deacons' wives or deaconesses. And, and I'm not going to dive into that this morning. I'm just simply going to say in my own study, and I, I, I keep studying, I keep reading, and I want to keep learning. Where I stand now, I believe that that is deacons' wives. Uh, I'm not opposed at all to our women serving, and we have women all over the place, really in many ways, serving our people in some sense like deacons do. But, but in the context, I think it much better fits what Paul is saying as a wife of a deacon rather than a deaconess. And I'm just going to leave it at that. You dig into Scripture, and you see what you come up with. But, but that's what verse 11 has to do with. And it's interesting that it doesn't give us... Some would say, well, it has to be deaconesses. It can't be deacons' wives because it says in the same way. When you read the first seven verses of 1 Timothy 3, it, doesn't talk, it talks about the qualifications for pastors, that they have to manage their own household well and all that. But it doesn't say anything about their wives. Why would it say something about the wives of deacons instead of the wives of pastors? Or why wouldn't it do both? That's a good question. You've got to dig through that and come up with a conclusion. But verse 11, there it is. And uh, you can study through that and examine the scriptures. Verse 12, a deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. There's benefit for those who are willing to serve, who are qualified and willing to serve as deacons. That's what verse 13 is talking about. But, you know, you read through these verses, and it would appear that deacons' eligibility is every bit as important as the qualifications for elders or pastors or overseers. It's a big deal, folks. This isn't to be taken lightly. Deacons are not required to teach, as we mentioned, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. And, and if you'll back up, just you'll see what I'm... Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. The last phrase of verse 2, able to teach. That's the big difference. And that's not a requirement. Again, that doesn't eliminate deacons who are able to teach from teaching. It's just not a qualification, a requirement for a man to become a deacon. I hope that makes sense. And then deacons are required to be examined and approved. And I will say that again, that's done by 
the, our, our pastors. It's done by our deacons that are staying in office. It's done by you when you vote. When you acknowledge, you affirm that these men, uh, as you have examined them, are approved and able to serve. And, and I would say to you again, that quote that I had earlier, uh, I think I have that again. Okay, that quote says this, there must be something very significant about the deacon's ministry that requires both specific elder-like qualifications and verification of such qualifications by the church and its leaders. Folks, it's a big deal. We need men who are willing to serve our people. Absolutely, that is critical. And uh, that is why deacons are church office holders, just like overseers. Um, deacons are plural. In other words, we need more than one deacon. It talks about deacons, and, and we read that when Paul addressed the church at Philippi. When he, talks to, when he was talking to Timothy, Timothy was involved in leading the church in Ephesus, and we're talking about deacons in the plural. Um, here's another thought for you. We cannot account, and I have this quote uh, by Alexander Strzok, is uh, another quote here. We cannot account for deacon qualifications and the necessity for public examination unless deacons hold some official position of public trust or exercise some specialized ministry for which only certain people qualify. Now that, that's, a, again, I, I hope you get it. I've said it. I'll say it again. It's a big deal. We need men to serve, to minister. They serve you, our people. When the prototype of deacons in Acts 6, there was a problem for which, as we looked at, the elders or the apostles who were functioning as the pastors didn't want to take the time because they need to give themselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. They said, let's find some of our people. Let's appoint them to function as, as servants of our people. That's the same thing that we do here today. Um, and so that's a critical thing. It's a specialized ministry. It's an official position laid out in the Bible by God, in the word of God here by the Apostle Paul. It is significant for us to pay attention to. Men, we need you to serve. Your church needs you to serve. Now, men, if you've been asked over the years and said no, there's always reasons and, and, and good reasons. Sometimes your season of life just doesn't work, and I get that. But I'm going to say sometimes you're asked and you're qualified. And the response we get is, let me pray about it. And I can almost guarantee you, I know what that means. And I'm, I'm not trying to be harsh, folks, but sometimes it means I'll sound spiritual, but I'm not really interested. And men, if God has gifted you and you're qualified and you ought to serve because it's a big deal, God talks about it as a big deal. You ought to be willing to serve in that regard. So what do deacons do? Well, four possible uses of the word of the deacon group. There's a number of words that all fit together. We call those uh, a word group and that word group for deacon. And here's four possibilities. Number one, what do deacons do? We call it uh, a table, table attendance. And, and we're not talking like attendance, like you show up, check the box, I'm here. No. You're attending tables, you're waiting on tables, a waiter, a server, an attendant. That's really what, what we had described in Acts chapter 6 as we looked at that. And it has to do with the duties of serving food and drink or waiting on tables, meal service or preparation of a meal. And, and I've got some scriptures listed for you. And I'm just going to read Luke chapter 17 and verse 8. And if you would just want to write these down and, and you can check it out yourself, but You'll have to look to see. It doesn't always come right out. You're not going to see the word deacon in these texts, all right, until we get down to the very end. But as you look at it in, in Luke chapter 
17 and verse 8, and this is what we read. Um, um, won't, well, start, verse 7, suppose one of you is a servant plowing, looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me? That word wait on me, that's the word for serving here. That's that kind of table server. Check out John chapter 2 and verse 9. But that's serving tables, waiting on tables. And, and, and that's, that's done, and it's not always used in a spiritual. This isn't like waiting on tables at next week's family gathering. That's, it doesn't have to be that kind of a context. It's just serving in that way. The second use of the word is domestic attendance or Home attenders, home servers, and, and a, a domestic servant or slave with the function of performing a wide range of household activities. Oftentimes, owners, slave owners, would have people wait on their families and serve them in that regard. They had been given management responsibility for the, for the stewardship of that owner's things. In Matthew chapter 25... And verse 24, and again, the context, you read this, what we read in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 24, uh, Matthew, excuse me, Matthew chapter 25, verse 44, I'll get that right. Uh, they will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? That's the same word. That's the idea of of uh, waiting, of serving, performing a wide range of household activities or attending to the personal needs of the master. Thirdly, it would be the idea of communication or delivery. And I'll just simply say Acts chapter 16, or Romans chapter 16 and verse 1. And in Romans 16 and verse 1, this is where many who believe that we ought to have deaconesses, women deacons, would go here to Phoebe, Romans chapter 16, verse 1, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, and here you'll see deacon, a de at least in the NIV, a deacon of the church in Sancria. Well, you'll find out there she was a servant. Whether that meant the same way, that's, again, part of what we need to study. You can check out 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, Ephesians 3. 7 as well, and see other uses of that idea. An officially commissioned messenger, an emissary, a courier who delivers a message or some item on behalf of somebody else, serving somebody else in that regard. And then lastly, when, and here is the, the fourth one, the, uh, it's, it's serving of agency or instrumentality. Now, let me explain that. This is one who carries out the will of another. In a sense, you're an agent for somebody. You're somebody's instrument. You do for them. You carry out the will of another or a task on behalf of another. In many contexts, as we read this word in Scripture, the idea is that of a subordinate carrying out an assignment on a superior's behalf and having full authority to execute the superior's delegated task. Now let me just give you one quick reference. Acts chapter 19 and verse 22. Acts chapter 19 and verse 22. There's other scriptures there. Romans 13, 4, 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen, And you can look and see the word. But in Acts chapter 19 and verse 22, uh, we read that, uh, well, verse 21. After all this happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I had been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, two of his agents, two who were representing him to carry out a, delivering a message, a communicating. They were his instruments. They had a delegated task to accomplish, and that's what the word in Acts chapter 19. Now, based on the most extensive Word studies that, that you could find and dig into, people who write books about these kinds of things, and some of the uh, uh, vocabulary, Greek vocabulary books and studying all this kind of a thing, uh, the use of the word deacon as it appears in Philippians 1, 1 and 1 Timothy 3 is an attendant 
or an assistant or an aide, which would be number four on the list that we just read. And that's what we believe is what I believe is the, the most accurate use of the word deacon in the sense of what Paul talks about in Philippians 1.1 1, 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. So that means this, and we're going to wrap it up. Deacons, so I have three, three explanations, summarized statements. Here it is. Number one, deacons operate under the leadership of the pastors by assisting them and standing ready to carry out tasks delegated by them. The relationship, now get this, because this is critical, because somebody might be thinking, the relationship between pastors and deacons is not one of master-servant. It's serving the church, each with a different role. I have a different role as one of the pastors here at Heritage than a deacon does. But it's not master-slave. Yes, there's under the leadership, our deacons, we give direction. In fact, our Constitution reads, deacons are to assist the pastors in the work of the ministry. That's what we, that's what we say in our Constitution. So that's the idea here. Secondly, deacons represent the pastors and act on their behalf in the service of God's church. Our deacons serve you. They, we have been working hard the last couple of years our men have a selected number of you. We've divided up our, our, our congregation, our membership, and, and regular attenders for them to talk to you and, and call you and contact you, and, and, and whether it be on the phone, in person, here, or wherever, and check how are you doing, it's, it's, and, and what can we do for you? Are there needs? How can we serve you? And, and it's the idea of getting to know you so that we can, even though we're running in the, in the, in the mid uh, to upper 200s in, in attendance on Sunday mornings, that we, we can serve you as if we were only 20 or 30. Does that make sense? That's what we want our deacons to be able to do. And then number three, we simply say it this way, the translation of the word deacons as qualified, approved assistance to the pastors describes who the deacons are and what they do. Now, you study scripture to see. You've, you've got to do that. And it won't be just read Philippians 1.1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13, but dig into the meanings of the words and find out, and I would close this way, are you qualified? Two thoughts, two questions. Are you qualified and willing to be a deacon? Are you qualified and willing to be a deacon? You may have that opportunity this year, this fall. Secondly, do you know a man who is qualified and ought to serve as a deacon? If you do, nominate them. <laughs> there, there's nobody here that is left out of these two statements or questions, right? Are you qualified and willing to serve? Now, folks, I, I want to say to you, we have and, and we work at this and, and all the time. We don't, we, you know how it is. You, you look around and some, some people in this church are doing a thousand different things. You understand what I mean? We have people that are serving in four or five or six or seven different service projects. They're, they're nursery workers, they're youth ministry workers, or they're deacons, or they're they're Awana workers, or they're involved in seniors' ministry, or they're involved in this ministry, or the women's ministry, or the men's ministry. And sometimes what happens is because people are willing, they get asked all the time to do everything. Why? Because they're willing. And one of the things that we're working hard at is not to burden people with so many things that they barely, you know, it's the old inch deep and a mile wide kind of a thing. We want our servants to be able to devote themselves to a couple of ministries. Some people may be more capable of doing one or two or three things, but not five or six or seven things. No offense, if you're an unbelievable multitasker, please introduce yourself to me after the service, and, and we'll talk about how we can use you or not. Uh, but seriously, are you qualified to be a, a deacon? You got to be willing to serve. Now, you may be in a season of life that right now you're going through stuff that 
There's just no way. Just no way. I understand it. You know what I've had people say too? You know what? I'm so busy serving, I don't have time to be a deacon. I don't always know how to answer that. I, 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 wanna, I, I say keep serving. But I think also if somebody's recognized that you have that kind of deacon qualification, maybe you ought to think about doing that because you're going to serve in a totally different way and you're fulfilling an office of the church. Now, the rest of you folks, if you know somebody, I'd sure love to see more than two names nominated. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your direction. Thank you for your word. Father, you've given us a lot of space when it comes to the leadership of the church. You lay out characteristics you don't always, especially for deacons, you haven't laid out a job description. God, we, we need men willing to serve. God, we have them. I pray that you'd stir their hearts about doing that. And I pray, Father, that you would stir our hearts as the church to acknowledge those who we see are qualified who ought to be serving and to nominate them. Father, I pray that together we as the people that we call Heritage Baptist Church that we would see your work flourish both within our body and outside in our community. Father, it takes the leadership that you've appointed as pastors, elders, bishops, takes the responsibility of being a deacon too, and it takes us as a church to be faithful to do what you've called us to do. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.